welcome to the Gigless Podcast, the podcast that showcases the works and talents of those who lost their gigs due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast will feature a range of creatives from the Tri-State area who are young visionaries and who contribute to their craft despite the recent events that have happened. Join us today as our host, Remy Leibovic, speaks with Doug Rizia, an artist and art curator who organizes both live and virtual themed events. Doug's art style combines glitch, pixel pop, and iconic art to create a range of dynamic works. His latest art show, Black Magic Art Share, and his webcomic series, Glitchcraft, will be released later in the fall. Be on the lookout for his projects in the show notes of this episode. Enjoy. back to Gigless. I'm your host, Remy Lubick, and today I have our guest, Doug Rizzio. Hey, Remy. Hey, Doug. So, you, I, huh? you, pronounced my, you pronounced my name right, which is great, because a lot of people they always get it wrong. That is my number one pet peeve on this show, that I make it a point to pronounce everybody's name correct, because if I don't pronounce them correctly, like, I don't know. That's just like something that annoys. I have a very complicated name, so I like to, you know, get the pronunciation right for other people's names, even if their names aren't, you know, complicated, but still. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, Doug, you're a local North Jersey art creator and artist and curator, right? Yep, that's me. So, you know. We're slowly reopening here in New Jersey. You know, we're at the point where indoor dining is permitted. Um, how has the gallery world adjusted to this? Um, well, it's interesting. I was actually working um, in a sort of small startup art gallery job right before COVID happened. Um, and I left that to do other things. But um, I was hosting my own independent art shows for a little while with with a bunch of people from uh, the New Jersey area. And I I think I hosted an event in February, right before COVID happened. And for the whole year, I had planned out three specific art shows on specific dates that I wanted to do. I had a reflective gold and silver themed art show planned for February, which I did. Then a multicolored rainbow themed art show in June. Um, and then a blacklight themed art show in October. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it on these exact dates and nothing is going to stop me from doing that. But as I started to plan for my rainbow show in June, um, COVID happened. And I thought, like, how am I going to make this happen without having a physical presence? Because I know for a fact that I wanted to do these events. Um, so I thought, well, I've done video interviews with people before for other art galleries. And I like the live stream podcast format. So back in June, I, I hosted my first virtual art show. Because we've been physical for so long, mm. how do you think virtual galleries 
do you think that virtual galleries will hold up? That's a great question. Well, I mean, obviously this is a this is an awful situation, but in some ways it happened at an ideal time to go virtual because in a, in a lot of ways we were already going virtual to begin with. The, the number of people using the internet and social media is exploding. Um, it was exploding already, like pretty much my whole generation and your generation, millennials, Generation Z, and anyone below that. Uh, and a lot of people above that too. We've all been slowly migrating in more ways to the internet, into the digital space with things like podcasts, which are huge now, even before the pandemic, um, with things like live streams. People live stream anything and everything nowadays, again, before the pandemic, and we're all online all the time. So it's not a good thing that this happened, but a lot of people were, were able to take the things that they were doing digitally, like part-time, and say, well, I don't have any other options right now, so I might as well make this full-time. And a lot of people who were thinking about doing virtual um, events or live streams or podcasts like me, this was kind of, this was kind of an opportunity to do those things. So I think it's, it, it expedited a process that was already happening. And I think even if COVID goes away tomorrow, we will still be more digital than ever and we'll never quite go back to what we were before. Right. I think that a lot of people are definitely using these tools now, like the digital tools, social media to expand and to, you know, to get their art out there more because just the fact that everybody is at home online more. And so you said that you had three shows planned this year. Mm -hmm. With everything reopening, is there any plan for an outdoor show or for a pop-up or something small or just no? You know, actually, I, I'm surprised by how much I enjoy doing the virtual show. And I don't know if I'm going back, at least not for a while. Right. And is, well... Because I know that like galleries and museums are going to be opening soon in New York, and I know that they're already discussing they're already discussing plans in New York City to like reopen the Met and the Whitney and seeing like what the guidelines will be for it. But yeah, what do you think? You know, you said that you worked at an independent gallery. What are independent galleries up against right now? Well, that's another great question. Um, I think to, in order to answer that, we have to say, what were they already up against before the pandemic? Because it's not like, it's not like operating a gallery was really easy before this all started. And um, I, I, I've seen a, a lot of small art galleries pop up and shut down because they have a dream to sell art to people and to promote artists and they have great intentions, but it's just so hard to make a living doing that unless you're in the heart of New York City with connections to millionaires and billionaires already 
and you already know what you're doing. So I really, you know, I don't think that art galleries were doing really well before this. Unfortunately, I think for a lot of venues, this might have been the, you know, the final nail in the coffin. Um, but it, again, just like the digitization of media being something that was already happening, I think that if any art galleries have been uh, doing poorly because of the pandemic, um, it was already, it was already a process that was that was sped up. And I think that thing, I think that big, big, big places like the MoMA or the Met, those are kind of, those are kind of like permanent institutions. And I think they're going to be fine because there is always going to be a desire from the public to have those spaces. But in terms of small art galleries, I think. I think that there will be a, a move away from trying to actually sell art, which is really hard to begin with, and more of a, of a push to help artists promote themselves, which is what has been already happening. Because I've, if you'll let me keep talking about this subject uh, a little more, I think that galleries for a long time were the only way that the average person could appreciate art because it wasn't just hanging around in the air. It wasn't floating around on cloud and accessible through your fingertips. Galleries were the, the portal to art and in some ways also the gatekeepers. They could provide art to the public but also prevent people from, from accessing them in a more immediate way. Compare that to today, and you know, now galleries are, or galleries have to have to worry that the artists that they're promoting to try to sell work will just sell their work online on their own because there are so many platforms for them to do that. So. Um, I don't think galleries will be able to compete uh, in the in the new era that we're living in, and I think they're going to have to move from trying to sell art to assisting the artists in promoting themselves through podcasts, video interviews, live streams, and things like that, like what you're doing now. Yes, the artists will become. Uh, I, I feel like the galleries will definitely become like a form of PR like for a facilitator sure. a facilitator of PR for an artist Definitely. and i feel like the age of gatekeeping is just i feel like it's slowly coming to the to an end because like you said everybody can sell their okay you don't want me to show in your gallery all right well i just put this print on society 6 on a pillow and on a <laughs> phone case and on a laptop case and on a t-shirt so i'm going to make like you know whatever off these five items that everybody wants versus you know what however because every gallery is different and I feel at least for like the very exclusive competitive ones that they might have to change their approach because a lot of the smaller and more like indie ones without like as you said before like millionaires backing them like they're a lot more approachable and understandable than you know some of the other ritzy ones. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
And would you say that like you've adapted to the new way of working as an arts curator and as an artist? Yeah, I think I'm I'm a lucky person to um in this situation because I was already kind of media savvy. And like I've said, I've done I've done a plenty of of video interviews for local art galleries like I've worked with Alpha Art Gallery in New Brunswick as an intern and as a gallery assistant. And a big part of my job is already PR through social media organization, through website construction, through video production. Um, and I've used, I've used those skills in other ventures like the company called Flag Art Group. Um, in Fort Lee, where I also did some of the same things, a lot of, a lot, even more media production with that one. And um, for me, this was just, this was just another step in something I already wanted to do. It didn't, it didn't feel like a, a sacrifice. Um, it didn't feel like I was losing something. Um, and I had, to be honest with you, organizing all these gallery events is really difficult too. Coordinating oh, <laughs> all have you done physical event organization yourself? Yes, I yeah. uh, like six years ago. Oh my god. Six years ago <laughs> I was the president of the art club at Bergen Community College. Oh wow, so and you're that, in the thick of it. Yeah, I was in the thick of it. And then I also did Rutgers but I did more. And then when I was at Rutgers, I did a bunch of internships where I had to physically like go and organize and run a gallery. And folks, oh. for everyone that's listening, um, if you're a gallery assistant, that can mean anything from like rigging mm -hmm. the actual physical gallery, like hammering everything in to running across New York City and getting boxed wine because oh, we're out. Yeah. <laughs> and it was an open... It was an open, it was an open door and very small space up in the Upper West Side. Wow. I had to find a liquor store <laughs> and they're like, you're just really nice for coming into this liquor store. I was like, I know, I'm on a mission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you have to do everything. Um, right. And I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done any of this if I didn't love doing it. Um, my first, my first art show was in my own house years ago. Uh, down in Somerset, right next to New Brunswick. Um, after a few years after I had graduated from Rutgers, I I started organizing little meetups for artists where we work on our projects. And then I thought, let's let's share these pieces with other people, our friends. And I started putting them up on the walls, and it kind of gradually developed from doing it in my house to doing it in the coffee shops and local art stores, to doing it in actual galleries, to starting to work for galleries. Um, and I'm glad that I had a chance to do all of these things while, while I, I had the opportunity. But oh, all, of the, all of the coordination you have to do, all of the hanging, hanging is the worst. Hanging artwork and making sure that everyone gets their artwork um, back after the show, that is the single worst experience. Oh, uh, and you always have to do it. There's you can't avoid it. It's and something you always have to do. 
And I had to like draft up a contract when I, I remember I was doing a show at one of the schools that I went to. And uh, it was actually the semester after it was done. And so to clarify for everybody listening, I did internships where I had to be a gallery assistant while I was Rutgers for the most part. Um, at Bergen, I was like physically like through the art club, I had to assemble the annual uh, student art exhibit slash gallery. And, but so this is just referring to one of my experiences. I had, you know, we had a successful show. We had over 200 pieces, 90 canvas, just 90 canvases alone. And that's just canvases. Oh we had that's, more stuff. Sounds dreadful. That whole place was packed. <laughs> it was a beautiful night. I was so happy I pulled it off. One yeah, nice summer job. later, one summer later, it's fall semester. We're all back. Guy walks in and he's like, hey, where, where are my art pieces? And I said, oh my God. I said, what did you have? And he's like, I had uh, these, I had, he had something on canvas or something like that. And I said, when did, did you come to pick it back up on the days that you signed to come back up? And there, he was like, no, I thought you guys would still keep it. <laughs> and I said, oh. we are only renting this space from the school. So the school threw his stuff yeah. out. And I was like, I felt horrible oh. because he signed a contract. He knew that he had to get them back, you know, but at yeah. still at the same. Yeah. But and he could have called us to hold on to it. Like there was like, you know, when you right. sign that thing. but. And we even had like a copy I, you of know, their names and it was just, I felt so, because the, oh like my the, gosh. the soul run out of that boy's body, the color went out of that boy's body, uh, like all the a, blood rushed from the head and he just looked like a ghost and he was like, it's gone. I said, yeah. Oh and it's also been like four months, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, oof. I mean, I can relate to that. I, I've had this. I've had similar experiences. I love artists, but sometimes I hate artists because they're the hardest people to work with. And you could send like ten emails, you know, way ahead of time with detailed instructions, and they'll call you like they'll call you like after the gallery already ended, and be like, "Hey, so how do I get involved?" Or like like. The example that you just cited, I had my last physical show in February. And how long has it been since then? Over six months? We're in September. At this point? Yeah, we're in in September. So it's been a while. It's been half a year. And um, I was positive that everyone had taken their artwork from my last show um, in a a space that I rented called uh, Above Art Studios, also in New Brunswick. And I, you know, I sent out reminders to everyone. I let the owners of the studio know what was still in their space, what, which people needed to take their work. And I was, you know, at this point, I'm, I, I, I not only have done my second show of the year, my rainbow show in June, I'm working on my blacklight show in October. And I'm not even thinking about this show in February anymore. And someone messaged me on Facebook just a week ago asking me if they could pick up their pieces from the art studio. Oh and I'm God. like, you haven't picked it up yet? 
I have no idea whether they have it anymore. I have like you you didn't you didn't tell me about this like uh-huh. all of these months ago. What why are you only asking me this right now? Like this is out of my hands at this point. Um and I think it was fine because the studio the studio like is good about these things and they know that artists are uh, a little difficult sometimes. But yeah. Yeah, artists are interesting people to work with. A ch- that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. And so as a creative person post COVID, how do you feel? Well, in general, I, I, you know, I put a lot of emphasis on my art shows for this podcast, but I am an artist myself first and foremost. And um, like I said, I'm going to have one last show of the year. Uh, it's going to be a virtual black light themed art and electronic music live stream event with a series of interviews and live music performances. Um, and that it will include some of my art along with the art of like around 40 other people. Um, but after this, I, I'm excited to get back to my own work. And I, I think I'm going to use this as a chance to try out more digital art and um, more animated art, more video art, more webcomic art. Yeah, no, I'm happy that you're focusing on different forms of art for this virtual show. And I'm happy that you're trying to still like experiment with how this will, you know, pan out. And, you know, so you have done social distancing and and online streams and, you know, what's your daily routine now or your daily practice or job with everything that's been happening? Well, another thing that that COVID did for me is reevaluate my... Uh, my future and my career. And I, I tried very hard to make it as an artist and to, to work for uh, various art companies. Um, but I realized that I was more fulfilled doing art independently and on my own than I was working for anyone else, which I think is a realization that a lot of creative people have over, the, over time. Um, but I'm glad that I completely pursued those avenues and now i i know um exactly how i want to be an artist and how i want to make art and i actually started going to grad school uh taking online courses for computer science recently and started doing um freelance web design and development so that's sort of what i'm doing behind the artwork right No, but that's an excellent thing because there's a lot of people and I've been, you know, wrestling, wrestling, I've been wrestling (laughs) with this myself since graduating uh, about a year ago now, a little over a year ago now. But one of the things is, and this is a mantra that I tell to every single creative person, is that if you do it, you are it. And Mm. there's no judge or jury that can tell you that you don't do it because I, you know, and especially when there's like, there's a big prop, there's a big thing with like graphic design, that there's a lot of people that go work for, you know, uh, 
uh, strictly graphic design firms. And then there's people that work for print shops. And then there's people who work for, uh, you know, advertising companies. But for the most part, when you get out of school, you're not necessarily like some people try to keep it up with art, but then a lot of people just end up doing a lot of, you know, work focused art, you know, like advertising sales. So you're like making a poster for, you know, a Memorial Day blowout for dealership, or whatever, <laughs> you know, just like throwing things out there. It, it could be like, you know, for a store, you're making ads or you're doing this and that. And some graphic design people are like, well, that's not like the art form of graphic mm. design. And it's like, <laughs> dude, they still have the talent to do it and they're getting paid to do it. They're still designers. Yeah. You know, it's like insanity. It's yeah, it's it's complicated because those are also necessary things to have. Right. In in a society where people have different needs. Um, I think it's very easy to complain about advertisements in the age of constant media, but sometimes advertisements are useful and they let you know about something that you might have wanted to know about, but didn't already. Um, And everything you interact with in the digital space has a huge element of graphic design, whether it's how your social media is organized like as in user experience or user interaction designers um you know how how a book is organized how uh how boxes of cereal are are printed and um i think the key for people who are pursuing graphic design in those fields is to recognize that it's its own form of art and it's not going to it's not going to fulfill the exact same desires as let's say making a painting would or or drawing would. Um and that doesn't mean it's bad, it just means that it's important to recognize that it it may be for you and it, it may not be for you. Um I went to Bergen Academies in, in Teaneck years and years ago where I was able to specialize in art. Uh, my, whole, my whole class was uh, a group of other young artists who were interested in, in learning artistry. And there might've been around 12 of us or so. Years and years later, when I look at all the different careers that people have pursued after that, only a handful are doing even something remotely creative. A lot of people have gone into business, or marketing, which is creative in its own right. Some are in graphic design, but very, very few people, maybe one or two out of the whole bunch of them are actually pursuing traditional art or any kind of fine media in the years after high school. So it's um, it's a challenge to keep pursuing it years later because you're, yeah. for a lot of people, life gets in the way and art, yeah. art loses its status as a major priority. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially with, um, you know, I know that you paint and I know that you have, you know, you went to Mason Gross when we talked last time and like 
especially now that we're seeing all these different movements like be an arts like hashtag be an arts hero and you know save the arts and all this stuff that's going on like like society is putting uh you know society's like it's so interesting because people are the the arts and music and the entertainment is the first thing to be defunded mm, but yeah. um but like it's so important and i guess one of the, the question i'm trying to ask you is is like well what is it like because you know you are the you're a curator mm. so you organize the gallery spaces you make sure everybody gets paid or paid to be part of this like what is that like to to just have that realization that it's like this is this is something that I'm always going to love, but it's not going to be my main form of like income. Yeah, that's another great question, Jenny. These are great. Thank um, you, Doug. It's almost like you have a whole podcast where you do this all the time. I know, right? <laughs> I'm a little rusty. We took like a three, we took a three month break. Oh my! Well, sometimes you got to do that. Yeah. But I'm glad that you're, you know, you're starting up again. Um, let me try to answer that question. So it's it's been a lifelong series of realizations. Um, I always knew I wanted to be an artist from day one, as long as I can remember. That was just something that was in me. And it's kind of nice to have something that you're always, you can always think about, like whatever whatever things go wrong in your life or whatever changes come your way, like that's a foundation. That's something I can always say, well, at least I still have this. At least I'm still an artist and I still like making art and I know what I want to do. Um, but it's hard because I think the, the first thought is, well, let me try to join the professional world of art. And I can't tell you how many times I've tried a, I've tried a job in the arts or tried some sort of pursuit and got jaded with it because it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And then thought, I'm never going to do art again. Only to come back like a few months later saying, I have to do this and I have to find another way. Um, just over and over again throughout my life. Now I'm at the point where I finally realize it's, it's going to have to be on my terms because otherwise it's not going to be satisfying. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of people who, I guess, have that entrepreneurial spirit, but at the same time, like it, again, like, like you said, it has to be on their terms and it has to be based on what they want to do. Yeah. And I think, I think it helps that I've always had a strong creative vision. Like I can. I can kind of take a break from reality and go into my own head and and let the let the visuals of my own mind take precedent. Um, and I can sit in that and kind of meditate on my thoughts and think, okay, this is what I this is the next artwork project that I want to do. This is the next event, and I plan things out years ahead of time. Um, and the, the more the, the more I do this, the more long term my plans get. Like, like at first I was just doing it month, you know, month to month. Then I would plan things half a year in advance, then a whole year or two years in advance. 
Now I'm thinking in three to five year intervals and I'm thinking, okay, this is what I have to do next time. And then the time after that. And even though the world is changing in a lot of ways and I have to change my, I have to change the way I do things along with it. Like going from physical shows to virtual shows, it seriously helps having a strong vision of what you want for the future because it's something to constantly look forward to. And um, it gives you, it gives you a sense of stability knowing like, at least I know I'm going to do this. And for the most part, I've been, I've been pretty successful at planning something ahead of time and then actually executing it months or even years later. Right. So what's your like routine? Like your daily routine? Because now I'm interested. <laughs> I that's, like, that's tough. That's a tough question to answer. Yeah. And I mean, now I'm interested, like now, like me personally, like this is <laughs> gigless, but now me personally is like, shit, like I need to take that. <laughs> like I, I've just been in this uh, form of like present, but mm. present is present is like a month ahead or in the month that I'm in mm. but meanwhile the past can feel like it happened like last year so something that happened like six years ago could feel like oh my god that was like I feel like it happened just last year it's a very oh yeah definitely timing like the concept of time is just very strange <laughs> I think it helps to think about the future in other areas of life which can sometimes be to your detriment because yeah. if you're constantly fixating on the future, it's hard to be in that present moment like you seem to be in um, more often than not. And I've always been a very future-minded person. Um, I've always looked at like ahead and speculated like, what, what will the future be? What will I be in the future? Um, which can sometimes produce anxieties. So I don't, I don't think it's always good to put yourself into that mindset. Um, and I really don't think I have a daily routine necessarily because I'm still coming into my own as a, as an artist and still figuring out what works for me. But I can say this at the very least, um, I pretty much only work at night. Late at night when everyone is in bed, um, and there's no one outside and I think that being being completely alone in total silence with no one but yourself around is is the best way to formulate creative ideas. Um, and I don't have any particularly set schedule, but the moment that I know that no one is going to be around, like sometimes eight, nine, ten at night, or even later. Um, I'll, I'll go for a walk and I'll listen to music and usually something dreamy, something kind of relaxing, instrumental. And I'll just walk around my neighborhood, like in total silence, completely alone, watching the stars, um, or I'll, I'll go into my backyard and, and meditate um, 
for like I need to three. meditate more. I was doing oh, so yeah. good. I was <laughs> doing so good. And then I just fell off. I was like, bye, uh, Andy from Headspace. I'll see you later. Uh, it's one of those things, meditation and exercise. And I sometimes like healthy diet choices. You have to be in it 100% because the moment that you take a break, it's so easy to just to stop. fall off. Yeah. Dolly Parton. I don't know. Do you know who Dolly Parton is? Of course. I love Dolly okay. Parton, actually. Dolly I visited Parton. her museum in Tennessee. You went to the Dolly World? I did. I went to Dolly, Dollywood? You I went, went to Dollywood. Dollywood. You I know, wanna... I, I mean, this go. isn't really related to anything, but I went with someone who was much more of a Dolly Parton fan than I was. And I, you know, I didn't have anything against her. I didn't really pay attention to her, but I think I fell in love with Dolly Parton that day. I I have been listening to this podcast series about her and just so everybody knows like Dolly Parton has written so many songs oh, and yeah. she's just like when you start listening to her talk and when you start like really hearing what she has to say as a songwriter mm-hmm. she, people still to this day believe like music historians believe that she is one of the most underrecognized like lyrical geniuses of our age and one of the things that she says is like when she feels that she starts going off the wagon or that she starts getting anxious or like all those things that you said like start going up she'll fast wow for days what nothing but water like she'll just get back to that spiritual like she goes like she's christian so yeah she goes and prays but then she fasts too and she's just like in this (laughs) <laughs> no, she gets to the dolly state, the dolly wow. verse. <laughs> well, I guess that's how she fits into all those tight dresses, too. Yeah, right? She gets, <laughs> um, to, the, she gets to the state. But yeah, but that's like when she's, it's not like, it's for her, it's like a fast of the spirit and the mind mm-hmm. so she can songwrite. So she can get to that place of creativity where nothing outside is going to interfere. I think that's so important to do. Um, right. Whatever your personal belief system is, whether you're spiritual or not, whether you pray or meditate or fast or do anything else, I think it's important to have moments in your life regularly where you exit the traditional, the traditional state of mind um, by whatever means that may be. And that's, there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, but it's important to it's important to enter other ways of thinking every now and then to take a break from from the normal routines of reality and to um, to just be with yourself and to to let your ideas flow because I find that I find that the ideas just tend to come to you. Rather right. than trying to rack your brain, trying to think of something, when you're when you're stuck in the in the constant daily routines of life, uh, it's very it's very easy to lose yourself to it and to go on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you take a moment to, to sit with yourself and to ignore everything else and just and focus inwards, you don't even have to work that hard to come up with creative ideas. They come to you, and. I think that's that's a very important state of mind for me. Right. And as a curator, you know, what are 
when you make these shows, when you're in that state, does the ideas and themes of those shows come to you? Do you curate people? And especially now that we're virtual, do you curate people? Because it, it, it doesn't matter about how the piece is going to fit in the space anymore, you know, because. Yeah, it's 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 a new kind of uh, it's a new kind of medium for sure. Um, let me think about this for a minute. Yeah. Take all the time. I, I imagine my my artwork and definitely my my events as not not singular entities but parts of a larger whole that I'm that I'm ultimately working towards. I have told you that um, about a a year or two ago, I I I looked into the future in my head and I I thought, okay, I want to do three art shows on this day and this day. And I, I do that because I, I, I want to slowly transition from one step in my head to the next. So in one event, I'm going to try out this thing I've never done before. Just one new thing um, to see how it works, to, to experiment. And then I'll, next time I'll do one more new thing and compound them every time. And I like working slowly and steadily. Um, I, I'm not one to kind of jump into something completely new, but I'll, I'll dip one toe in and then dip another and I'll just slowly wade in and go deeper and deeper. Um, and when I, when I think about the events I want to do in the future, I, I think, okay, what is my ultimate goal? Like the biggest, most impossible, unrealistic, fantastic thing I can ever imagine. And what's, where am I now? And what's the next step? What's one more thing I could do to get there? That's how I imagine my, my work. Right. Well, we're winding down to the last like few minutes, but I just wanted to ask you, do you have any final thoughts? Like you, you just, you're actually really good at this at answering questions. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think it's because I'm, used to being an interview interviewer myself and I'm just a talkative person. So nice. <laughs> um, if you, if you're okay, can I plug some of the things that um, are going to be, I'm going to be doing in the next sure. month or so? Sure. You're going to probably be like our, you're going to be a few episodes down the line. So oh, yeah? definitely talk about what's happening in October. Okay. Do you think you think this will come out before October tenth? Yeah, we can make that happen. All right. Okay. So that's a that's a really important date for me. Um, for some reason, for this past year, I wanted to make all of my events um, on specific dates. Like I said before, I don't believe in astrology, but I like numbers, and I think that having a an impactful date or time is important. So my ref, my reflective gold and silver themed show was. On 2-2-2020, my rainbow show is 6-6-2020, like the six colors of the rainbow. And my final show of the year is on 10-10-2020. Um, doesn't have as much meaning as the other two, but when I think of 10-10-2020, I imagine binary code or something. And 
in a weird way, it helps to solidify my idea that I want to be in this digital space more. Um, so anyway. It's also on, World Mental Health Day that day. No way. Really? Yeah, I just looked it up wow. my calendar because I'm an, I'm an old lady and I have a physical <laughs> planner. Well, it's so interesting. You know, I have two things planned for that day, two really big things um, that I think are going to put me into my next stage of creation as an artist. Number one, I'm doing my, my last big virtual art show of the year, and maybe for a few years. Um, it's called the Black Magic Art Share, and uh, it'll be from 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, to probably around 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. And it'll be all online on, on Twitch, on Facebook Live, on YouTube, and uh, I think Periscope too. And what it's going to be is a, a, an interview show with around 30 blacklight artists and um, makeup artists and body paint artists, all who have submitted different, different pictures of, uh, of them either covered in blacklight paint or, or, or like glowing blacklight paintings that they've made with their own hands. Um, and in between each set of interviews, I'll be featuring a handful of local New Jersey electronic musicians, um, all who kind of fit that magical, spacey, kind of sometimes futuristic feeling of blacklight art. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about this because blacklight art is sort of, it's not a signature for, for me as an artist, but it's a signature for, it's a signature for me as an art. Uh, curator. I love blacklight events, so I want to do them like you know every every few shows. So that's uh, on October 10th. And the next thing that I want to talk about, probably the last thing, is more personal. Um, for the last several years, I've been I've been working on a webcomic series in my head called Glitchcraft, and it's like a science fiction fantasy series um, that I. I plan on releasing online and it's, it's been years and years and years since I've come up with all these, these ideas. And I have a ton of concept art for Glitchcraft on my Instagram and stuff, but I, with any luck, I'll release two pages of my animated webcomic called Glitchcraft on Facebook and Instagram and all the other places. And from that point on, I want to, once my show is over, I want to focus completely on putting out my webcomic. Um, it'll be about simulation theory, uh, dystopian futures. Um, everything we're living in. <laughs> everything we're living in right now, yeah. It's, it'll be very, very topical. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode of Gigless, Doug. It was great talking to you. Yeah, this is fantastic. Thanks again for having me on. I'm so excited to see what your show is going to be, and I definitely want to pop on by. Oh, yeah, please do. I definitely will. All right. Well, guys, again, follow us on Instagram and follow Doug at what's your handle that they can find you at? Oh, yeah. You can find me anywhere at Doug Rizzio. That's D-O-U-G-R-I-Z-I-O or Doug Rizzio Art Shows, all one word. And soon, Glitchcraft. Okay. Awesome.
Thank you for listening to the Gigless Podcast, hosted by Remy Leibovic and Dane Wagner. The song used in our intro and outro is Beach Walk by Unicorn Heads. If you enjoyed this podcast, head over to our social media pages on Instagram at Gigless Podcast and our website, giglesspodcastblog.wordpress.com. There you can find out more about the artist, contact the host and producer, and find out more about our schedule. Thank you.